His name was Saeed Qutb. You probably don't know his name, but this man has had a significant influence in your life. Even though he died about 50 years ago, his ideas continue to impact our world. He was an Egyptian with some rather radical political views. He agreed with the philosophy of Adolf Hitler. He hated Jews. He hated Christians. He despised American democracy. He was considered to be such a dangerous man that he was put in jail by the Egyptian authorities. This is back in the 1960s. But even in prison, he continued to spread his radical views. Finally, he was executed. And you would have thought that that would have brought an end to his influence, except that his brother embraced his teachings and took these teachings to his country of Saudi Arabia, where he began teaching in a university there. Now, you've probably never heard the name of Saeed Qutb or his brother Mohammed, but you most certainly have heard the name of Mohammed's star student, Osama bin Laden, who took Saeed's worldview and began to implement it through an organization called Al-Qaeda. Today, we live in an age of terrorism that is directly linked to the influence of one man and his view of the world. Now, think about how your life has been affected by terrorism. Think about what you go through every time you board an airplane. Um, just a few weeks ago, I was traveling with our team back from Honduras, and I've had some adventures in terms of going through security when I've been outside the country, and I had yet another one um, a couple of weeks ago when I was selected for the dubious, dubious distinction of enhanced security screening. But here's the thing that I want you to see. One person's view of the world can affect the lives of countless people. And so this series is about us taking a look at how we view the world. The title of the series is The Big Picture, and here's the place where we need to begin. What is a worldview? That's the question on your outline, and here's the answer. It's the way you think the world works and how you fit into it. That's your worldview, how you believe the world works and how you fit into it. And let me say this. What we're going to be looking at in the weeks ahead is intensely practical. This material hits us right where we live because your worldview determines how you choose to live your life. Now, if you're married this morning, your worldview deeply affects your marriage because it affects what you believe about the role of a husband or the role of a wife. It affects what you believe about the family, about parenting, about, about children. It affects how you deal with conflict. It even affects how you spend money and what you do with your time and your talents. And a worldview basically answers four foundational questions. And here they are. Where did I come from? Why is the world such a mess? That's a really important question, isn't it? And here's an equally important question. Well, is there a solution to the mess the world is in? And then finally, how should I live in this world? Now, during this series, we're going to look at each one of those questions. And here's why your worldview is so very important. And again, this is on your outline. Your worldview is the set of beliefs you build your life on. Your worldview is a set of beliefs that you build your life on. And whether people realize it or not, every person has a worldview. Everybody has a set of beliefs that they're building their lives on. See, your worldview determines what you believe about God, what you believe about yourself, what you believe about relationships. Your worldview directly influences your sexual behavior. It determines what you believe about life and death and good and evil. And when you watch the news at night and you hear about natural disasters or school shootings or political uh, turmoil, your worldview determines how you respond. When you go through grief, when you go through loss, when you experience stress, 
your worldview determines how you respond to those things in your life. And students, middle and high school students, I'm so glad you're here today because I want you to listen carefully. Your worldview is going to deeply shape your life. It's going to influence the friendships that you form, the decisions that you make, the career that you choose. And here's the reality. Your worldview will influence everything you think about life in this world. And what you think about life in this world will determine the kind of life that you live. Check out this Bible verse. It's from the book of Proverbs. It says this, be careful how you think. Why? Because your life is shaped by your thoughts. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. Now, what the Bible is basically saying here is that your beliefs determine your behavior. Your beliefs determine your behavior. Now, let me give you an example. Let's say that right now um, there was a message. Um, let's say that, that Mason picks up a microphone in the back of the room there and says, the building is on fire. Now, what you believe about that message determines what you do next. Because if you believe that, you know, Mason's just messing with you, it's just a prank, what are you going to do? You're going to ignore it. You're not going to do anything. It's just a joke. But what if you believe that what he says is true? What if you believe the building's on fire? What are you going to do? Yeah, you got to run for the nearest exit. You should walk, not run, because that's what you're supposed to do. But you can see that your beliefs determine your behavior. So listen, church, what we're talking about these next few weeks, what we're talking about this morning is not some academic exercise. It's really, really important and really, really practical. And let me say this. One of the reasons this topic of worldviews is so important is that it helps you understand what other people believe. There are people in my family that I love deeply that don't believe what I believe. They have different views of the world. And I want to be able to talk to them about what they believe. So I need to understand what they believe. I need to understand what I believe as well. But that's one of the things that I hope will happen in these next few weeks. You'll understand the viewpoints of other people that God has placed in your life. Because we all know this, there is incredible division in our country. Isn't that true? Over what people believe. And here's the reality. When you're a Christian, God calls you to love people regardless of what they believe. And I know this, looking back over my, my life, ever since I've been a follower of Jesus Christ, I don't think I've ever argued anybody into making a decision to follow Jesus. But by God's grace, I have loved some people into God's family, and that's what God calls us to do. And not only that, this concept of worldview is really important if you want to change your life. And how many of you want to change your life? I mean, I do. And that involves changing your worldview. It, it means looking at life from God's point of view to understand how the world works and how you fit into it, which is why the Bible says this, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Then, when your mind is renewed, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And the Bible says this in the book of 2 Corinthians. It says that when you become a Christian, you're a new creation. That the old person inside you is passing away and all things are becoming new. But here's the reality. Even though when you become a Christian, you become a new person, you still have these old tapes playing in your head. Isn't that true? And here's the problem. A lot of those tapes simply aren't correct. They're not true. And where do they come from? Well, they come from our parents growing up. They come from our family, from our friends, from the things that we learn. And here's why this is so important, because the choices that you make day in and day out are based on what you believe. So if you have false beliefs, if you have a false worldview, the consequences to your life can be disastrous. In fact, many of the problems that we experience today in our lives are because of things we believe that are not true. But here's the good news. 
if what you're believing isn't true, if it's making you miserable, you can change what you believe. You can choose to accept what God says is true and reject the lies of the world. So here's what I want to do this morning. Um, this is going to be a, uh, a Reader's Digest course in worldviews. We're going to run through this material, but we're going to expand on it in the weeks to come. So I'm going to point out seven different worldviews very quickly, but here's how I want to do it to make it memorable. I'm going to choose a phrase that describes that worldview. So are you ready? You ready to go? Okay, here we go. Now stay with me here. Here's the first. The one with the most toys wins. How many of you have ever heard that? Seen it on a bumper sticker. Well, this is the worldview of materialism. It's the idea that, you know, if you get more and more stuff, then you'll leave, live a, a happy and fulfilling life. It's like the person that was describing American culture, and they said, well, you know, Americans are people who uh, buy things they don't need with money they don't have to impress people they don't like. It's quite a statement on our American culture. I was listening to the radio the other day, and there was a guy who was talking about the number one goal in life is to get to the next level. You know, the next financial level, to get a bigger house and a better car and more money in the bank. And I'm thinking, really? That's not kind of the number one goal of, of my life. And, and what did Jesus have to say about this, this desire to just get more and more stuff? Well, this is what he said. Beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Man, that's a very different view than, than many people have. I was thinking about this, that often in our culture, people equate their self-worth with their net worth. You know, if I have a lot of stuff, then I'm valuable, I'm important, I'm secure, I'm somebody. But here's the thing, from God's point of view, the most important thing is not how much stuff you have, it's who you become, it's your character. Now, here's another phrase that describes a worldview. It's all about you. It's all about you. And this is a worldview of individualism. And this is one of the predominant um, views in our culture that you need to put yourself first. And this worldview presents one of the biggest challenges to Christianity. And here's why. Christianity is about people sharing their lives together. It's about us living in community. It's about serving and sacrificing for each other. Now, in our membership class, we have this video that I show every time. And it's to help deconstruct this idea that it's all about you. And this is a classic video. It's called Me Church. And some of you have seen it before, but it has such a great message, so I wanted to show it again. Here is Me Church. Imagine a church where every member is passionately, wholeheartedly, and recklessly calling the shots. I have a busy work week, and by the time Sunday rolls around, I'm tired. So how about a church service that starts when I get there? Can do. When you arrive, we begin. This guy, he plays by his own rules. We want to find a church where if he starts screaming, we're not the bad guys, right? Come here. Say no more. If your baby's screaming, you stay seated. The others around you can leave. You know, financially, Sherry and I don't give a lot to the church, but we'd sure like to know who does. All right, if you join now, you'll know what every person gives in detail. When I'm in the church service, can my car get a buff and a wax? Not just that, but an oil change and a tune-up. Hey, how about tickets to the Super Bowl? That's asking too much. I'm serious. If I'm going to join, I want tickets to the big game. All right, you join now, and we'll get you there. I like a pony. Look in your backyard. Me Church, where it's all about you. Just so you know, we do not have any Super Bowl tickets. They're all gone. 
And, and the ponies are too, I'm sorry. No more ponies today. But you know, this is such an important point because God's design for his people is not to be the me church, but the we church. And individualism, individualism flies in the face of that truth. And I was thinking this week that your worldview really does affect marriage because, you know, there are people who have trouble in their marriage and they go to a, a marriage counselor and so often these marriage counselors do not have a Christian worldview. And the advice they give is really you need to look out for yourself. You need to make sure that you're happy. It's about what you need and you want and what you like. And the Christian worldview is very different. It talks about the fact that a husband and a wife are supposed to serve one another and sacrifice for each other. And it's in that mutual desire to do that that we live out God's plan. Now, who modeled that for us? Jesus himself. And this is what Jesus says. This is from Matthew chapter 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Now, here's another belief that we encounter in our culture. If it feels good, do it. And this is the worldview of hedonism. Now, here's a Bible verse in the book of Proverbs. It says this, Are you addicted to thrills? What an empty life. The pursuit of pleasure is never satisfied. Now, I could talk about this for quite a while, but let me just say this. There are a lot of people in our culture that really are pursuing pleasure as the number one goal of their life. I, there's a whole subculture of people that pursue one thrill after another. And there was a very wise man, in fact, the wisest man who ever lived, King Solomon, and he said, you know what, I've been down that street. It's a dead-end road. He said that, you know, the pursuit of pleasure is meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. Now, church, we need to understand, who designed pleasure? God did. Pleasure's not a bad thing. Pleasure's a good thing. But we need to understand that God never designed pleasure to be the number one goal of our life because it will never satisfy us. See, God designed us so that we would know him and love him, and it's in that pursuit that our heart finds true satisfaction. Now, here's another perspective that we encounter. It's this phrase, it works for me. You ever hear that? You know, if it works for you, and this is the worldview of pragmatism. The idea that a course of action is valid if it helps you accomplish your goal, regardless of whether it's wrong or right. You know, for example, um, cheating on an exam may work for you because it gets you the grade that you need. Or having an extramarital affair may work for you because it helps you achieve a goal that you have. Or viewing pornography, hey, it works for me. Or the idea that, you know, you could lie about your income on your income tax return because, well, that kind of works for me and saves me some money. Now, here's the major problem with this kind of thinking. It's completely short-sighted. It's like the guy who jumps off this 100-story building, and he passes a guy in a balcony on the 80th floor, and the guy goes, how's it going? And he says, so far, so good. See, that's the kind of thinking that you have here, because the reality is that something may work in the short term. There may be some short-term gain, but there will be some long-term pain. And that's because consequences are both short-term and long-term. And I will say this, the long-term consequence of not following God's design for your life, of not believing what God says about how the world works and how you fit into it, the long-term consequence is a broken heart and a broken life. And I've seen this happen so, so many times. And here's the reality. You know, when we talk about God's laws, we don't really break God's laws. We break ourselves against his laws. 
His commands never change, and they're given for our good. It's sort of like gravity. You know, I can ignore gravity. I can deny gravity, but I can't escape it. If I jump off this stage, what direction am I going? Down. And see, here, here's the reality. Just because something works doesn't mean that it's right or that it won't have long-term consequences that can be disastrous. And the Bible points this out. Look at this verse again from Proverbs. There is a path before each person that seems right, like jumping off that 100-story building, but where does it end? In death, in tragedy. Now, here's another, uh, another belief we encounter in our culture. What you see is all there is. And this is the worldview of naturalism. It's the idea that you know, everything that really exists is perceived through our senses, that there's nothing outside the natural realm. There's no supernatural. And this is a classic position of those who embrace an evolutionary worldview. There is no God who designed and, and sustains the universe. We're just you know, a, a collection of random matter that came together over billions of years. Now, we've probably all seen the chart that shows the evolution of, uh, of man from, you know, caveman to homo sapien, right? Now, here's a variation on that theme, the evolution from the cave to the computer. Now, here's, here's what I believe is the fatal flaw of naturalism. If it's true that God didn't make us, if it's true that we're not made in the image of God, if it's true that we just happened, you know, because of the random interaction of molecules over great periods of time, if that's true, then your life has no intrinsic value, and neither does mine. Our lives have no value, no dignity, no worth. Abraham Lincoln said this one time. He said, I can see how it might be possible for a man to look down on the earth and be an atheist, but I not, cannot conceive of somebody looking up to the heavens and declaring there is no God. Now, there are people who say there is no God, and there are other people who say you are your own God. And that's another worldview. But let's take a look, first of all, at this um, passage in Romans chapter 1. It says this, From the beginning of creation, God has shown what he is like by all he has made. That's why those people don't have any excuse. They know about God, but they don't honor him or even thank him. They claim to be wise, but they are fools. Now, here is another worldview. It's called humanism, and this is basically putting people at the center of the universe rather than God. And just a few weeks ago, my wife Chris and I were in Virginia, and I was talking to a young man there. We were in Colonial Williamsburg, and uh, he was talking about how he was sure the universe was going to give him what he wanted. And I thought, wow, that's such a different worldview than I have. And he was actually influenced by a book that was written a number of years ago called The Secret. How many of you ever heard of that book? It has had incredible influence in our culture. And here's an excerpt from that book. It says this, you are the creator of you. And the law of attraction is your magnificent tool to create whatever you want in life. You are the master of the universe, and the genie, that is God, is there to serve you. The genie never questions your commands. You think it, and the genie immediately begins to leverage the universe through people, circumstances, and events to fulfill your wish. Now, church, let me say this um, in the most loving way that I can. God's not your genie. You are not your own God. This is the lie that Adam and Eve believed that brought such pain and suffering not just into their lives but into this world. And this is what the Bible says. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped created things rather than the creator. Now let me point out one final belief system and it's called theism. Theism. And this is from the Greek word theos which means God. 
And Judaism and Christianity are both worldviews that say God made you for a purpose. And of course, Christianity gets very, very specific about your purpose. Now, this verse that I'm going to show you, I think, summarizes really the Christian worldview. And it says this. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Think about that. In Jesus Christ, you find out your identity and your purpose, who you are and what you're living for. A few weeks ago when I was in Honduras, I had an incredible privilege. I got to travel um, into the homes of a number of pastors there and into the churches where they serve. And there was one pastor that I met with, and he was telling me that his life had been really, really hard, and that was because his oldest son had recently been, been killed by a drug dealer in their community. And as I talk with him, he was telling about how it had impacted him and his wife and his family, and you could see the tears just streaming down his face. But as I looked in his eyes, I saw not only sadness, I saw something else. I saw hope. Because this man believes that even when tragic things happen, there's a God who's still in charge. There's a God who still cares. There's a God who can still take something terrible and use it for his good purpose. And church, this is why our worldview is so critically important. Because life is hard. There are times when, when pain and suffering pours into your life. And the question is, what do you believe? There are times when our faith is tested and God wants us to believe that he does love us and that he is in charge. And that's what I want for you. I want you to have God's view of how the world works and how you fit into it that will sustain you no matter what happens in your life. And so that raises a very important question. How can you develop a distinctively Christian worldview? And real quickly, two things I want to point out. Here's the first. Hold on to what's true and let go of what's false. Now, that raises an important question. Okay, Pastor Dudley, sounds good. How do I know what's true? I'm glad you asked. Come back next Sunday, and I'll tell you. A whole sermon is going to be about how to determine what's true. But I'll give you the short answer. What God says is true. You can count on it. And this is what Jesus prayed before he went to the cross. And we're going to celebrate communion in just a few moments. Jesus prayed this before he, he died for us. Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus wants you to know how the world works and how you fit into it. He wants you to understand that what his father says and what he says is true. Now, here's another Really quick passage, and it's a warning about what you believe. Check out this verse. Don't believe everything you hear. Carefully weigh and examine what people tell you. And notice this. Not everyone who talks about God comes from God. There are a lot of lying teachers loose in the world. Listen, don't believe something on Sunday morning because Pastor Dudley says it. Believe it because God says it. That's really, really important. Now, here's, here's one, one final thing, another way to develop a Christian worldview. Pursue God's purpose for your life. Because the more you pursue God's purpose, the more you're going to see things from God's perspective. And God has made a promise that if you do this, he'll provide everything necessary to accomplish his purpose. And this is the promise of Jesus Christ. He says, God will give you all you need from day to day if, if you make the kingdom of God your primary concern. Now, church family, let me just say this as we, uh, as we wrap up this morning. Um, if you're a believer this morning, it is so important to develop a distinctively Christian worldview. But here's something that's equally important, that our kids, our students, are able to develop a distinctively Christian worldview. I want to share um, just a really brief excerpt from an article written by Chuck Colson. It's called Lessons from a Dictator. And it says this, When President Fidel Castro celebrated his 75th birthday, it was a very special occasion. 
The Cuban dictator came to power in 1959 after overthrowing Batista, the former dictator. On the eve of his birthday, Castro made a powerful gesture. He publicly handed a Cuban flag to the head of Cuba's communist youth organization, and this was no mere photo op. The flag represented a shining torch to light the way of communism into the future. Castro knows that in order to keep his regime alive, he must pass the torch of communism to the next generation. He knows that if he fails to teach Cuba's children the communist worldview, his revolution will eventually die out. So Castro has been training his country's children to pick up the torch of communism and carry it into the future. Church, we need to train our children to pick up the torch of Christianity and carry it into the future. The question is, how's that ever going to happen? I mean, here's the reality. Our kids are never going to learn a Christian worldview in the public schools. They're never going to learn a Christian worldview by watching MTV or the Disney Channel or Animal Planet. They're never going to learn a Christian worldview at a state university. I know. I've been there. So where are they going to learn a Christian worldview? And the answer is this, from you. From you, Mom. From you, Dad. And listen, listen. This is so important. The church is a partner with the family. We're in this together. We need to raise our kids to understand how the world works and how they fit into that world. And, and church, I am so thankful that we have a children's ministry in this church that takes that seriously. We have staff and volunteers that love our kids and work hard to help them understand a Christian worldview. Now, tomorrow is a really big day in our church. It's Vacation Bible School. And you probably see all these people with orange shirts, right? These are our volunteers. This is our staff for VBS. So VBS volunteers, I want you to come up front. Come on down. Come on down, okay? I know the service is going to be a little bit longer today, but I really think this is important. I want to pray for you. And I want to tell you this. Volunteers, if you want, we, I tell you what. If you guys would just turn and look at me for a second, because I want to tell you something, okay? Just... They're going to turn their back just for a moment, okay? But I want to talk to you guys. I want to tell you something. I am so grateful for you, for every single one of you. I am so thankful that you're willing to invest your time and your talents and your hearts in the lives of the kids in this church. And I was thinking about it this week. Imagine what it's going to be like tomorrow morning. I mean, it's going to be a wonderful opportunity to work together and point kids to Jesus. And here's something else I was thinking about. The person that God chose to start Boynton Beach Community Church, the guy that's standing behind this music stand this morning, was a little boy in VBS. And seeds of faith were planted in my heart that God used to set my path in life. And I want you to think about that. The things that you're going to be teaching kids, and, and it could be in a classroom setting, but it could be just a conversation you have with, with a child. That can change the direction of their entire life. And who knows who knows where God's going to take him in the future, and you get to be a part of that. Is that incredible or what? And so let me do this. Let me just pray um, for the kids who will be attending tomorrow and pray for you as well. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you for this incredible privilege of taking the good news of Jesus Christ and, and passing it to a new generation of Christians that will grow up and change the world. God, I pray for each volunteer. Would you encourage them and use them and strengthen them? And Lord, please do this. Give them a ton of energy because they're going to need it. But God, I thank you for each child and each family that's represented. I pray, Lord, that you will take the work that we're offering to you, God, and use it to do something remarkable that will bring honor and glory to Christ. 
and build the kingdom of God. And we trust you, Father, to do this because we're praying in the powerful and the holy name of Jesus Christ, our King. And God's people said, amen. Can we thank our VBS volunteers?